Over the next three Sundays, excluding the West Point weekend, um, I'm planning to speak to you on a subject that will be important to all of us in this church over the coming months. And I want to endeavor to equip us for any questions that might arise during that time and into the future. I want to talk to you about hope. Of course, it's going to be an important concept because it will be the name that we go under as a church and will therefore become part of our identity uh, here in the town and wider still. So my overall title for the three talks is Shaped by Hope. And uh, this morning I want to talk to you about hope that shapes me. I don't mean just like me, but us personally individually. And next week I plan to speak about hope that shapes us as a community of God's people. And then on the 31st of August, I plan to speak on hope that shapes mission. So I hope that will cover, my plan is that it will cover um, every aspect of what this word, this name will be for us as we become known as Hope Church Beaconsfield. So first of all, I want to define the word hope. As some people will immediately point out, and one or two have, the word hope can mean different things to uh, different people. In our culture, it carries with it a sense of perhaps or maybe. You know, we would say, I hope it doesn't rain again tomorrow, or I hope to win the lottery next week. I know you wouldn't say that. I hope that to win the lottery next week. Or, so there's a sense of, well, maybe if perhaps um, something might happen. Uh, this is what we hope for can mean all things being equal. If luck is on our side and the wind's blowing in the right direction, we just may get what we want. And so it's possible that someone may get the idea that when we call ourselves Hope Church, we may be saying, well, we'd like to be a church, but we're not quite sure whether we are. Or or there are some things that we wish were true, but we're not really sure if they are. So we hope that Jesus is the saviour of the world. We'd like him to be, and we'd like to think that our sins might be forgiven, but we're not quite sure, so we're calling ourselves Hope Church. And therefore, some would say that we would be wise to avoid any such title. And we should choose a name that is not at all misunderstandable or does not need any explanation. But I would suggest to you that in a post-Christian culture like ours, whatever name we choose to describe this community of genuine believers of Jesus would require at least a degree of explanation. So if you consider any church that you can think of, the name that they've got, the majority of people out there would want, they would need an explanation as to what does that mean? Why do you call yourself that? So I don't think we should be too worried about the fact that we may have to explain ourselves. So we're going with Hope Church. 
realizing that we may have to explain why we're called that. And that won't be a bad thing. Those conversations that we're likely to have will be great conversations. Why do you call yourself that? Well, let me tell you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Wow! See, it's a gift. You, you're going to be presented with a wonderful opportunity when people say, so why are you called hope and what is your hope? Well, let me tell you. So we need... I want to furnish you with some material that you can use in giving that explanation. My plan is that by the time we get to the end of August, that I'll have put some of these notes of these three talks together in a little leaflet for you to have. So that uh, even if you can't think of the words to say, you can say to someone, well, just read this. So... We need to begin by defining the word. When we speak of hope, we are using the word as it is defined in the Bible. And by the way, if you want a good Bible study, get yourself a concordance. If you don't know what a concordance is, it's a book that has lists of words and every Bible reference to that word. And uh, there's one that I've got upstairs, which is called an exhaustive concordance. (laughs) And that's because it's very big and it makes you very exhausted just to carry it around. But it, what it means by it, it's got every reference to every, uh, every word that's in the book in the Bible. And if you look up the word hope, there's some fantastic scriptures that use that word hope. You'd be, I think at this point in our life as a church, in our history, it would be well worth you doing a Bible study for yourself on the references that the Bible gives to that title. You won't find Baptist Church anywhere there, and you won't find Beaconsfield, but you might find hope. (laughs) So we need to find out, how is that word defined in the Bible? Because there, it has a far more definite, positive meaning. I'd like you to turn with me just to a couple of verses in the letter to the Hebrews, I've read through Hebrews a couple of times this week, and um, it's just packed with promises, confident promises, that, um, on which our hope is based. So Hebrews chapter 6 and verses 19 to 20 give us um, a, a sample of that. Verse 19 says, if I can find it, Hebrews chapter 6, that would help. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. So here's a strange sort of image that the writer to the Hebrews gives us. It's the picture of an anchor being thrown into the Holy of Holies and finding its rock there. It says that Jesus has gone before us right into the very presence of God. When he he lived, he died, 
he was raised again and he ascended into the presence of Almighty God. And right there in the Holy of Holies, he is there as our rock. And our hope is the anchor that's been thrown into the very presence of God and it finds itself fixed in the promises and the person of Jesus Christ. And that picture that you've got there is and it's the closest I could get, but the, the, but the anchor is meant to be fixed to the rock, not just laying at the side of it. He has gone before us into the presence of God. And because he's there, we have hope. The whole letter of Hebrews speaks of certainty of the things that God has promised us and achieved through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So that the position of the follower of Jesus is one of confidence and assurance, not a wishing sort of thing. I would like it to be a hope, I, a wish I would like it to be like that. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, I am absolutely confident of this. Nothing will shake my confidence in these things. So perhaps this is a helpful picture. Christ is the rock, the immovable, eternal rock that cannot be moved or shaken. He stands rock-like on his promises And our hope is the anchor that is fixed securely to that rock. Dependent on the certainty of the promises that he has made and secured for us. And our faith, if you like, is like the chain that ties us to that hope. So that when life gets a bit stormy and our boat, our life gets tossed around a bit, we tug on the rope, the, 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 the chain of our faith, which is attached to our hope, which is fixed in Christ. Do you see? That's what, that's what we're talking about here. That whatever may happen in our lives, the uncertainties of our lives, we pull on that faith, that belief, that trust that is in Jesus. It's fixed in our hope in Christ. That might help you. Hope is that anchor of our souls. But what do I mean by hope that shapes me? So having defined hope, biblically, let's see what that means for us as individuals. What is that personal anchor and how does it shape me? How does it make me the person that I am? How does it make you the person that you are? Well, let's begin with the hope that every human being has, whether they're a believer or not. Is there anything that every human can be absolutely sure of? I would suggest there is only one thing, and that is death. There's nothing else. You've got life. I presume you have. It's doubtful looking at some of you. But we've... We've all got life. The only other certainty is your death. Everything else is conditional. So whether it's life, education, career, marriage, children, health, prosperity, they all have an aspect of if. 
attached to them. Maybe. All being well. If everything works out. As long as such and such happens and other people do what I would like them to do, then those things might happen. All those aspects of life are conditional. But death is certain. I can promise you. Unless Jesus returns in the meantime, I promise you, you're going to die. Now, that's a nice thing for me to say to you on a Sunday morning, isn't it? You didn't come to hear that, but you are. I promise you, you're going to die, and so will I. And so, some people, in the light of that, come to the conclusion that, in the light of that one certainty, well, let's not give thought to anything beyond this existence and focus totally on the here and now. Paul, speaking about um, life after death, said that if there's no such thing, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. This is it, and there's nothing more. If that's our only hope, then let's just make the most of this. Make it last as long as we can possibly make it last. You know, take the potions and fill in the cracks with polyfiller or whatever, you know, just to make us uh, try to put off the day when it's coming. Let's lie about our age. Let's pretend we're not as old as we are and so on, you know, just, but you're going to die. We are going to die. And you're getting older. Look, see, you're older than you were when you came in this morning. I can, you know, and you're probably thinking, yeah, and by the time you finish this, I should be a lot older. <laughs> well, now that would make sense. That sort of approach to life would make sense, except for the fact that in our heart, we suspect and want the truth to be different to that. Solomon, reputably the wisest man who's ever lived, says in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. We are born with more than a sneaky suspicion that there is more to our existence than just a relatively short period of time between our birth and death. Something tells us that there's more. And this is clarified for us in the coming of Jesus, God's Son, Son of God, into the world. He came from somewhere and went to somewhere. That's very clear as you read the accounts of his life and his death, and his resurrection, and his ascension, and then the whole of the New Testament that is based upon the fact that Jesus is still alive somewhere. And what's more, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. To those who believed in him, he had and brought an altogether different perspective to life and whatever lies beyond this life. He was here on earth, but it's like he had his head above this. He could see something that we can't see. He had a perspective on birth and death and all that's in between and beyond it. And after he was raised from the dead, he set down in history this indelible, undeniable Reality that there is more. He is somewhere. You've heard me say this so many times, but he lived, 
He died, he was raised again, and he didn't die a second time. So he must be somewhere. There is more. And the Bible outlines for us just how this is so and how it works in relation to us as individuals. So coming, still coming to how does it affect me personally? Well, it, it gives us a personal hope that is secured for us. It makes it clear that all of us, the Bible makes it clear that all of us are born spiritually dead because of our inherited humanity we are cut off from God and the evidence of that can be seen in the world around us if you've turned on your TV or your radio picked up a newspaper just in these last weeks you would see the evidence of the depravity of humankind the unthinkable wickedness that is being perpetrated in any number of places across the world. And all of it, all of it could be stopped if mankind was not so selfish, not so corrupt, not so depraved. So the evidence is there. And may I suggest to you that sometimes the evidence is in people that we know. And may I be even more personal and suggest that if you look into your own heart, you can see it. can see our own self-centeredness and our own selfishness. The evidence is there. We are, as a race, basically flawed. Something's gone wrong. And something has spoiled and corrupted mankind. And what is more, no matter how hard we try, and some people try harder than others, we fail to make a permanent change to that situation. And in terms of being in relationship to God, nothing we do, nothing we can do, religious, moral, ethical, is enough to get us to where we need to be and we know that because that's God's assessment of the situation. Nothing you can do is going to get you into the relationship with God that you were intended to have. So what's to be done? Well, God made a plan. Because he loved the world so much, God sent his son incarnate in the flesh to rescue us from this impossible predicament. Do I hear a rumble of, hmm? Or, lovely. I'm so pleased. Hallelujah. Thank you, that'll do. That one of those will do. <laughs> uh, to rescue us from this predicament, to make a way for us to be restored to what he had intended in the first place. So he came and he lived among us, having this different perspective on life and death and eternity. He lived here on earth, but he could see something bigger. He had a different perspective. And he said, I've come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. Abundant life. I've come to give you eternal life, he said. 
To know him is to have eternal life, he said. He made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. He came in amongst us in order to lift us up and bring him to where he is. To see things as he sees them. And he did it by taking upon himself the sins of the world and bearing the punishment each of us deserved. And then offering us a new life, an eternal life as a gift by his grace. Or let me put it more personally, he took my sin upon himself, bearing the punishment I deserve and then offering me a new life as an undeserved gift of his generous grace. Jesus stood and stands above and beyond what we see now and gives us a secure hope, a new perspective on our lives and on the world in which we live. And the Bible makes it clear that being without Christ in your life is equal to being without hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. But when we know him and have a genuine living relationship with him, something radical happens to us. The, the Apostle Peter says, in his great mercy, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. A living hope. So it's hope that changes my perspective now. It's in that sense that I'm saying that hope shapes me. What I am confident about, above and beyond the present, this present existence, shapes and colors and determines the way I see everything. We see the world differently. We see it now as the work of a magnificently creative and powerful God. We didn't see it like that before. It was just, well, it's just a planet. It's just something floating around. And, but now I see it. This is, God made this. The beauty of this. God made this. A magnificent God who created this is my Father. It changes the way I see the world in which I live. We see our fellow human beings differently as those who are loved by one who out of his compassion and mercy wants to rescue them and give them something better and something that will last forever. We'll look at that in more detail in a few weeks' time. We see our own lives in the context of eternity. So we're not, you know, sort of holding on to this for, you know, I was going to say for, for grim death. You know, we just, we don't, okay, we're not careless about, oh, but it doesn't matter, I'll just walk under a bus and see what happens. We're not doing that. Of course, we've got this self-preservation thing goes on inside us. But there is something that changes our view of eternity and our own mortality. And those of us who've gone through what we would call life-threatening situations will know how that hope Change the way we saw that. Well, I don't want to die of cancer, but I know that my life is in his hands and my days are ordered by him. And that if everything doesn't go so well, I'm going to be with Jesus. 
Do you know, it changes the way that we see our own lives and our own mortality. We realize that we have so much for which to be thankful. We have a relationship with God as our Father. We've learned to love Him and worship Him. I mean, before I became a Christian, you'd never have found me doing what we've done here so far this morning. What's all that about? All that singing stuff. What do you mean, waiting here for you? What's all that about? But, you know, it shapes me. This is what I do. And I love doing this. And I... I love worshipping God. It shapes me. It changes me. When I hear people saying, thank God, I sort of think, yeah, thank God. When people say, oh my God, I think, yeah, well, I don't know who your God is, but I know who my God is, and I love him. He's my father, you know? (laughs) We've learned to love him and worship him. Our hearts are filled with praise for this great one who loved us so much that he rescued us from a lost eternity. And of course, we begin to see people differently. We see them as those who need Christ. And I think we sometimes sing this song, I think we're probably going to in a moment, that says, that it quotes Colossians 1, Verses 25 to 27. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that is, anybody that's not a Jew, which probably is most of us, if not all of us here. God has chosen to make known to us the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as we shall see over the next two preaches, this hope also changes the way we relate together as a community of people. As the family of God, it affects the way we appear to those who meet us and those who come amongst us, those to whom we reach out with the good news of Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom of God. But as I finish, can I just ask you a personal question? What's your hope? You see, you, you might consider this to be your church. I'm part of this church. You come here regularly, you know. So when someone says to you in a couple of months' time, so you go to church. Which church do you go to? And you say, I go to Hope Church. Oh, so why do you call it Hope Church? Are you going to say, well, this is what the pastor said. He said that it's... Or are you going to be able to say, let me tell you, about the hope that I have. Let me tell you about the anchor of my soul. Let me tell you about the certainty that I have, that my sins are forgiven and I have eternal life because of what Jesus has done for me. Are you going to be able to say that? Or are you going to play, you're going to play the act, you know? Are you going to say, well, yes, I go to Hope Church because, well... Just it's a nice name, really, isn't it? You know, or what? Or I don't like the name, or whatever. You know, what are you going to say? Are you going to be able to give a good account for the hope that is within you? I want to ask you that this morning, because I would say that this is a good point at which you could say, "I'm going to make this anchor mine. I'm going to put my trust completely in Jesus. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to." 
I'm not going to sort of fluff around on the outside of stuff anymore. I'm not just going to make this words and debates and discussions about stuff. I am going to give myself to this. I am going to make him the anchor of my soul. I would suggest to you this is a good moment to do it. And as we, we pray in a moment, I, I would invite you to pray with me and pray to receive him, you know, not just, you know, make like my God your God, you know, so, well, I like the way that you people worship God. I like the God you talk about, but make him yours, make him your savior, make him your hope, your anchor. Um, let me invite you to do that. So let's pray together. Um, I'm going to pray as though I'm you. I can do that. I'm going <laughs> to just to give you the words, if you like, that you can say. And then I would like to ask you that if you do, if you genuinely mean this and you pray this along with me, come and tell me afterwards. Because I'd like to pray with you personally and just say a few things to you. Um, nothing to be scared about. Let's pray together. And if this is you, just pray along with me in your heart. Lord, I thank you that you have given us truth. You speak truth. Lord God, creator of all things, I thank you that you love me and you love the world you love me so much that you sent your son jesus into the world to be the rescuer the savior thank you that he came in order that i might have eternal life thank you that he lived and died died in my place thank you that he was raised to life again thank you that he has ascended to where you are and is now there as the rock in which my anchor, the anchor of my life can be placed. Lord, I don't want to live with just this one certainty that I'm going to die. I want to know in my heart that I'm going to live with you forever. And so, Lord, I give myself to you. I ask you to forgive me for those things that I've done selfishly, for all those things, Lord, that I've done that have offended you. And thank you for taking the punishment, Lord Jesus, for those things. And I ask you, please be my savior, be my rescuer. And give me, I pray, the gift of your eternal life. Lord, and for all of us here, Lord, we want to ask you to give us that perspective upon life as we live it out day by day. The things that we experience, the people we meet, things we say and see and do, Lord, give us that wonderful eternal perspective. Lord, we pray that this would be truly a hope that shapes us, makes us the people you want us to be. And we ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.